Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much for joining us on the program. We come your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at richarddugan.com. And uh, we hope that you will join us for the radio broadcast, but we also hope that you will join us uh, for the podcast of each program, because sometimes we go longer than the 50 minutes that the radio broadcast allows us. And the podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, many other locations. People are reposting our interviews. Hey, thank you so much. That is uh, that is really terrific. I, I, I just can't thank you enough for doing that. We also want you to go to our guest website, which we'll be giving you shortly to find out more about what they're doing and uh, continue your evolutionary process. And uh, we also uh, encourage you, if you like what you're hearing and you like what we are doing and you'd like to support it financially, we have a PayPal and Patreon account for your security as well as ours. And so if you'd like to support us financially, thank you, thank you, thank you to those who have and to those who will. Today's program I think you're going to uh, enjoy greatly. We are going to have uh, as our guest on this particular program... Julia Ivey, she has a, a website we'll be talking about, as well as a, a very interesting, well, it could be a project, a program, what have you. We'll get the, the precise uh, categorization shortly. Her um, uh, And Julia Ivey is our guest. Julia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank now, you. You have a website, of course, uh, and uh, it is b-edge.com. That's B as in boy, E as in Edward, dash edge. Dot com, and it's where folks can find out about a number of different things, including the latest uh, work that you're working on and a book that you have out, uh, Synchronizing Personal Strategies of Multidimensional Individuals. I want to talk to you about that one. That kind of rolls into our, our wheelhouse with Strategies of Organizations in the book, Crafting Your Edge for Today's Job Market. <clears throat> Some would say, Julia, what job market? <laughs> because uh we exactly exactly yeah. and this is exactly what my project is about well let's talk about your project what is it is there a name that you've given it to it is it called b dash edge or is there no what's no, the, what no. is it called it's a, it's b edge is a formula which i'm going to use to solve this issue mm -hmm. but Specific project is called Employing Diversity for Post-Pandemic Recovery. Employing Diversity for the Post-Pandemic Recovery. The case of East Boston. The case of one neighborhood. So, do you want me to tell you Please, about this? Please, let's, let's start from the beginning. So, the point is that we, we, take, we took one neighborhood, just one neighborhood, and this neighborhood has two very specific um, characteristics. First, it's a minority majority. So the majority of population in this neighborhood are, are from, Latina, from Latin American countries. However, it can be black community, it might be any other community. It's a majority minority community. And the second characteristics is urban. And it's located in proximity in downtown. These two characteristics define the unique uh, unique issues of this neighborhood. And you can imagine how many of these neighborhoods we have in the United States, which are right in downtown, close to downtown, proximity downtown by transportation. But at the same time, it's a, a minority majority. 
So for this specific um, for this specific uh, project, I choose East Boston, and it's a wonderful neighborhood. And by the way, I live there, and it's located very close to uh, to downtown Boston. At the same time, it's a um, minority majority neighborhood. So this is the first kind of like my interest. Why I choose this? Because it was hit by COVID most than any other communities in Boston. Mm. So my drive was, my passion was to find how to help this community for post-pandemic recovery. And when I looked who should I, you know, think about who should we help, I I paid my attention to uh, small businesses, which are mostly ethnic small businesses. So this is a kind of like context. Then I looked at this uh, neighborhood. And again, it's not about this specific neighborhood. You know, when I shared my story with somebody from Chicago, she told like, oh my God, it's about East Chicago. Somebody from New York just like, oh my God, it's exactly what we have like around Harlem. In every single city, we can find neighborhood, which is again, urban neighborhood and majority minority, or at least doesn't have to be majority, but a big presentation of minority groups. So they run their own businesses. When I look at these neighborhoods, we can talk to them as a tale of two cities or tale of two or more cultures. And look at this, because of this uh, ethnic community, it's a one kind of culture. And it seems sometimes they just like move this culture from one country to United States. And they live like, like Chinatown, like uh, Latin, you know, like they live in their own life and they have their own uh, small businesses and uh, they have their own clientele. And it's wonderful. You love being here but they really focus on them, their own community and they serve their own community. And if you come to restaurants, you almost feel like you are there, not in the United States. And if you come to hear salon, sometimes they don't exactly speak English, but they speak their language. And you go to retails and you see the taste of clothing kind of like from there. And it's, it's so marvelous. It's so wonderful. And it serves this community. Let's look at, and when, before COVID, they did fine because they had their own clientele. They loved them, extremely loyal to them, wanted to stay with them. Everything was great. However, COVID hit this community most of everything else because of many, many different factors. And we know black community, Latino community were hit most, most than any other communities in the United States. And again, we can talk about many factors but this is a fact. Who is another tale, another culture? Another culture are, and I was fascinated to find this, educated millennials, affluent, educated millennials. They started to move in these communities because of prox- pro- uh, close proximity to downtown. This a combination of two factors made this like almost two words in one very specific community. Mm-hmm. Millennials here, they want to live here. Very, <laughs> their reason is very, clo- very clear. 
This is the transportation, three stops, three stops on Metro, and I am downtown. I'm in, in financial district. That's why I want to be here. And they usually live in uh, large apartment buildings, in a very newer apartment buildings. And what said for me, these two cultures don't talk a lot. This is what I found. I asked myself, like, something is there that each of them exist as a two separate almost groups. And at the same time, both of them want to stay in this neighborhood. Of course, they both claim this as us. Ethnic community doesn't want to be, uh, doesn't want gentrification. They don't want to push out, obviously. And millennials also don't want these people to, to leave. Because what we know about millennials, they are first digital natives. They love diversity. They love diversity and they love impact and activism. And they love solving problems and making their own point, whatever they do. And millennials are most educated and most unemployed in the United States. So I ask myself, Two groups, two groups I absolutely in love, one group and another. One of my students, right? So it's a educated millennials. One of my neighbors, because right here I live with them and I love the nature of these people, their openness, their love, their joy. They, they know how to kind of be happy, you know, like it's, I feel so fortunate to be next to them. And I ask them myself, how I can bring them together. Hmm. And where we come to this synchronizing personal strategy of highly educated or just educated millennials. And they do have their personal strategy very clear. They are not on since anybody's game. They have their own way of doing things. You cannot tell millennials what to do. They, they're not going to follow you. They just have to do what they believe is right. And we have small businesses, ethnic businesses, which have to find the way for post-COVID recovery. So this is the question I ask myself, and I can tell you the data I found and solution I found. Well, this is fascinating because we have all over this country, uh, I was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona, and I am not that familiar with the different pockets of uh, diverse cultures uh, in the Phoenix area. In spite of the fact I was born and raised there, I lived there for 46 years. Uh, I didn't go much further south than uh, the downtown. I didn't go uh, much further east or west uh, than the downtown, other than when I would uh, bicycle out way out west uh, to the to the western uh, uh, metropolitan areas that were part of the uh, Phoenix metropolitan area and out to the east as well, Scottsdale, the fairly affluent, you know, well-to-do and so forth. Uh, but, you know, you hear about these different areas in New York, in Chicago, in, in, in uh, San Francisco. You've got Chinatown. You've got Little Italy. You've got, I don't know if they call it Little Russia or what have you, but all of these different places where these cultures just flourish. And it's just because... That's where these particular particular uh, ethnic groups chose to uh, chose to uh, move in together in in a, in a few blocks, if you will. 
and as you say, that is not far from downtown. And there are so many things that we can learn from one another, uh, let alone, and I know this, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in a little bit uh, of ways, uh, my mother, her family, her mother and, and father um, are Hispanic and, of course, uh, love the culture of the food, the, I mean, tomales and uh, the tortillas and all the different things that, that they brought to us as children, as grandchildren and so forth. And, you know, I, I've been running around for the last, I don't know, 35, 40, 45 years looking for my grandmother's tamales. And I was told that I will never find them because only your grandmother makes them like your grandmother made them with the love that she put in them for you and your siblings. So I've come close, and which is great. I've come close. But when you're talking about <clears throat> this other aspect, which I know a lot of people are just up in arms about, three stops from downtown wherever, and I'm in downtown. Or I'm back home again from downtown. I don't know if you've ever heard of a, uh, a, a visionary futurist by the name of Jacques, Jacques Fresco. He created uh, a project called the Venus Project out in Miami. Out in uh, Florida, I should say. I'm not sure it's Miami. But in, in Florida. And basically he created these civilizations, these, these uh, circular hub-like with spoke-like things where the workplace was sort of in the center and the living spaces were outward. If you wanted a car, okay, you could have a car, but you wouldn't need one to go where you want to go. And if you didn't have a car, you didn't have the expense, which means you could save that and put it towards, oh, I don't know, <clears throat> I'm going to rent a car and I'm going to travel across country to see family and friends. And then when I get back, I return the rental car and everything's good. Or I'm going to fly to Europe. I'm going to fly to Ireland to visit friends and fly back. I don't, you know, I mean, what? We need a car and then we also need our own personal plane? Really? So I think this is fascinating because to me, this is the direction we're going. And yet you and I both know how much of how much pushback we've we've got a ton of pushback here in Santa Barbara, for example. I mean, we're landlocked. We can't go further out into the ocean unless we choose to do what they did in Dubai. Uh, we can't go up into the mountains because they're preserved. And we can't go east or west along the coastline because we got other cities that are already there. So they don't want you to go up. And they're even working towards making them carless cities. And people are all up in arms about it. And I'm just thinking... You don't get it. If I could get, you know, I love my truck and I love my travel trailer. But if I didn't need them to travel to and from work or to the grocery store or to this place or, the, or to the beach, what have you, I'd get rid of it. Or I'd park it until I really needed it for something important, that kind of thing. It sounds like that's kind of what you're talking about and that you have, yes. a, a, you have a, a, a big task ahead of you because <clears throat> you have... Older cultures, and I don't even mean the ones you're the ethnic cultures you're talking about, but I'm talking about uh, generational cultures in this country alone. Uh, you're not going to take my car away. That's where my individuality is. That kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Do you yeah. do you find do you do you find that that's part of the the challenge that you have in helping to bring about this this other way of living? Yes, uh, but this particular story is specifically for ethnic culture who don't also don't have a car. Ah, and okay. Enjoy, yeah. So it's a it's a it's a different dilemma. It's a dilemma of 
well-educated, affluent millennials who are absolutely agree with you. They don't want to have a car. They want to visit their friends in, you know, Ireland, etc., etc., and other community which don't have a car, but very often because they cannot afford the car. Right. And they do enjoy this transportation, but they also need to be close to downtown because they work in these restaurants, they work mm -hmm. in these, you know, all these essential workers. And they also have their own small businesses in their neighborhood. And these small businesses flourished because these people were right here to support them. So what we don't want, we don't want millennials or anybody affluent, new, new kind of commerce to push out these ethnic communities. We don't want this. We want ethnic communities to stay in neighborhood. We want them to feel home here. And millennials want to be feel home here. The question is how to help them to find their you know, synergy, their mm -hmm. synchronization and help each other because if these small businesses, ethnic small businesses wouldn't survive, the neighborhood would be kind of like going down, which wouldn't be good for, for millennials. Millennials like having very nice neighborhoods. Yeah. At the same time, millennials also want to establish their space in the market. They don't want to fit anybody's box. They want to shape their space mm -hmm. and so this is a dilemma i ask myself so i look like what can help businesses and i did my research what can help businesses for post-covid recovery and i also looked who are millennials mm. like and what i found gave me so much hope because millennials have two major dimensions two First is, as I said, digital, digital natives, multidimensional problem solvers. This is number one. They have their digital, digital thinking and uh, design thinking implanted in their brain much better than other generations. Second one, they are into diversity and activism. Then I looked what might help businesses. And for instance, McKinsey, very clear that are actually two major streams of help. First, local businesses have to recalibrate their business model. They have to look at their business models and say, what still works and I must love it and preserve this. And what might not work anymore after post COVID, you know, like because the behavior of customers change, consumer behavior change, people staying home and all this stuff, what we all going through. So maybe it should be something different. And digital, 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 digital solutions is the key. So businesses need to recalibrate their model and find something unique. Millennials are those who love solving problems and they love being multidimensional, bringing several industries together, and they're digital natives. So bingo, I found, ha, huh, this might help. Second dimension is, as I said, millennials are diversity-driven, and these businesses are very much here. So millennials don't want them to leave. 
However, these businesses they also can open their door for more diversity, not being just, okay, we are Latino business for Latino people, or we are black business for black people, we are white business for white people, we are gay business for gay people, we are Chinatown for China people, whatever. So it's just like, not for we are for our people, not us versus them, but really open the door and say like, what can we do differently? Because the consumer change. So I found that these two groups might be very well synchronized. And uh, now the way to find how to synchronize this, and this is where actually my model BH provides just formula, just steps. What they do, step number one, step number two, step number three, step number four. It's almost like synchronization, you know, like we are dancing, like you, Richard, and me, we are dancing together, mm -hmm. right? So we, we synchronize our movement. It doesn't mean that we do exactly the same. We don't have to copy each other, but we have the same pace, the same music, the same rhythm, and we kind of like follow each other and help each other and follow it and, you know, kind of dance together. And this is what BH gives, like A-D-G-E, E-D-G-E. It's almost like a just joint dance where these two powerful, powerful players can do together. And I believe it would be wonderful. It would be new neighborhoods where millennials are driven to help, to work uh, with these local businesses because in this way, Millennials can't shape their space in the industry. Example, one guy, he is a like multidimensional. He's IT guy working for IT company. He does his job, like he's fine. But he also playing virtual games all the time. He's such a gamer. Mm -hmm. And he also kind of think about what's next. And he wants to bring, you know, kind of shape his own space in the industry and doing something what he wants more than just working for his company, doing his job, which kind of like boring. So for local restaurants, which cannot bring all the people because there are constraints, right? So all, only 50%. So this guy learned the story of the business, the culture of the business, use what they you know, like their fabric of the business and developed a very simple, uh, virtual game, hunger game. When people can play this game and the whole game is made like for this restaurant and win a, you know, like weekly free dinner, which will be de uh, delivered to this home. Mm. So for businesses, it's a model, business model recalibration. For this guy, he established his voice in the industry that he can do this for the restaurant. And this is for him, his own space he made his case to shape his space and this is one one of the uh examples what uh, we can do if we let help them to synchronize and that's very interesting and one of the things that came to my mind was um the problem we have in our present business model and it's not actually a part of the business model but it it develops out of the whole process, uh, and that's corporate, corporate, corporate espionage. In other words, you've got the same kind of business I've got, uh, and I want to get a leg up on 
what you're doing so that we can be successful and maybe even put you out of business or maybe buy you in a corporate takeover and that kind of stuff. And that's one of the things that has troubled me about the current uh, capitalist free enterprise system is that they refuse to incorporate into it in terms of the dialogue about it, the aspect of greed, the aspect of power and control rather than the aspect of service. Because what you're talking about is just that. You're talking about not just serving the community, not just serving the businesses, but serving the individuals who live in those communities to make it a wonderful place for everybody to live. Um, Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm sure there are going to be communities that are going to be more secluded than others. And if that's what they want to do, great. But boy, we learn so much from one another when we when we work and live together i i was working with a gal back in phoenix and um uh, i was talking with her about a particular subject and we were talking da 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 and i says well that must be interesting you know coming from the hispanic community and she stopped and glared at me and she says i am not hispanic i am spanish she was from spain or her ancestors were from spain not Mexico, you know, and, and it's like, and we were, we, we were any good friends in spite of my faux pas. Uh, but that's one of the things that, that we forget. And you re- make reference to the different, uh, uh, um, ethnic colors. Okay. And you, you, you referred to the blacks as blacks. And I heard a guy say, uh, he was asked the question. He was doing this podcast called asking the uncomfortable questions. And his guest asked, asked him, what should I call you? African-American, black. Well, you should call me black because not all blacks are African-American. They come from other parts of the world, too. And some people who even come from India who are very dark skinned, they're not black. But that may they may accept that, too. But I just thought that was a fascinating distinction he made. Uh, But that also I'm hearing more and more people become more, I guess, understanding is the word. And they're starting to learn how to appreciate not just the diversity, but what we can learn from one another. Uh, And uh, I just, you know, I'm hoping that through this project that you are working on, that is something that is going to be developed along the way. Is this... I'm very, very very, um, excited with this because it's not about blending we don't want to lose this uniqueness. No, no, you're right. We really, we do. We it's such a richness of us, of our communities, of having this richness. We don't want them disappear, and at the same time, we want synchronization. We want kind of these cultures instead of being, as you said so well, kind of close. Mm-hmm. We each culture open for each other and kind of dancing, dancing or like in synchronized, you know, you know, like it's a skate, you know, figure skating or, yeah. uh, you know, any like tennis when two people play together and we don't care what the, you know, like the, these people are different people. They might be one gay, why not gay? Or one, this culture, one another culture. One is Russian, one is American. It's not important, but they play the tennis game together mm-hmm. and they 
same side of the court and they playing as a team. And this is what my methods, um, I believe, provides this technique of synchronization. And this is what I very much excited. And uh, I share this with uh, uh, several um, organizations which want to be involved. And right now I stop here because we're still working on this. Mm -hmm. and it's it's very promising and every single time I hear from them like, oh my God, Julia, if we do this for this one neighborhood, we can then kind of like learning from this and do this in other neighborhood when mm -hmm. uh, like for instance, Chilean restaurant ask local millennials, like what can I do to bring more people and different people to my place and they say, let's maybe make one night of Ukrainian culture. And they were just like, hmm, interesting. Would you bring your Ukrainian friends? And they were just like, yes, yes, of course. Or one very kind of traditional, you know, Catholic community will ask like millennials, like how can we bring more people? Because post-COVID again made us to cut all this nonsense and really open to each other and say like, hey, we have to be together. And maybe this very specific business will just ask, what do we do? And learn that maybe they should say like gay night or like some kind of event for somebody who is not them, mm -hmm. but they are. Yeah. And what, this is what I mean under synchronization. But there are steps and I am very, very... Um, adamant that we not we must not miss these steps so it's the first is elucidate your multi-dimensional core it's extremely important for millennials or whoever is just to define what different expertise i can bring here what is special about me but the second us is develop trust before they start offering anything they must learn the culture who they trying to be with because sometimes we are too fast too smart and we just offer something and we offend others with our smart whatever solutions <laughs> second step it's just attachment you see so e d g e second is d so when they touch each other they learn each other they learn colors of each other, they learn jokes of each other, language of each other. And when they learn this, only after this, they provide their solution, which might be inside of boundaries of this local culture. And this is where a miracle happened because they're already us. They are dancing together. And this is what, this is what I think is beautiful. And the last step is excite with connection which each of them got what each of them need, you know, like business needs a new, new business model, uh, maybe recalibrated business, maybe adjusted, maybe reshaped business model and new customers. And millennials have their voice in the industry that, hey, I am more than just employee in the bottom of a large corporation. I am somebody who can solve problems by myself just give me the problem and don't give me dumb instruction i just i'm smarter than this and this is the last step 
which is the kind of when they not just make their case, but they shape their space. This is what beautiful I believe. I I have to tell you that there are those who would uh, <clears throat> accuse you of wanting to create a utopia, and I would say letter. Letter, let her create it and see what you see and see what you experience. Uh, I have been fortunate to uh, have been uh, uh, the recipient of some experiences in my life. Uh, and um, the people that have come into my life, uh, they, they've just opened my eyes to things. I mean, this one woman I just shared the story of who was Spanish and not Mexican, uh, you know, and uh uh, and even uh, from a religious standpoint, you know, meeting a diverse uh, a people of diverse uh, philosophies, as I like to call them, because <clears throat> that's probably a little more accurate than calling them religions. Um, and it's it's astounding the things that we learn, not not just about them, not just about the culture, but it's astounding the things we learn about ourselves, either uh, on one level, maybe it's. Gee, you know, my folks always told me to stay away from those people, you know, because they're just not with it. Or, wow, I I never even knew I didn't know any of this about this particular culture. This is this is really cool. I mean, I I I marvel at some of the the documentaries I see of uh, the tribes, for example, in Africa, and I've even asked the documentarian sometimes uh, in terms of the clothing that they're wearing. And 99% of the time, they're wearing very brightly colored outfits, whether it's pants and a shirt or whether it's the native uh, traditional uh, garb, but it's all very colorful. And yet you hear about how uh, there are some people in this country who have no tact whatsoever, and they refer to these other countries as hellholes. And I'm thinking, seriously? Seriously? Yeah, well, someone might think that where you live is a hellhole, too, and you live in a mansion, okay? So leave it alone. And yet, when you you, you hear about the, the level of poverty they live in, right? They don't look impoverished. They look happy, and they look joyful, and, and they, they look excited about the life that they're living. Um, you know, then maybe they're not technologically advanced. Who says you have to be to be happy? And that's really, I think, the ultimate goal that you're achieve, wanting to achieve is is uh, making these various communities and the people that live within them happy. And we're going to talk more about that when we come back. I want to let you folks know that we are talking with our special guest today. Her name is Gloria Ivy, and uh, she does Julia, have... Julia, Julia Ivy, sorry, Julia Ivy. Julia, uh, what did I, I don't know what I just said, but anyway, Julia Ivy, we'll get it right, Julia Ivy. And she has b-edge.com, that's the letter B E. And then dash and then the word edge dot com. And we're talking, of course, uh, about a lot of different things here, but also about the latest work she has uh, on in book form called Crafting Your Edge for Today's Job Market. And of course, we're talking more about the post pandemic because we are there is going to be an end to this, folks. Uh, it is going to come to an end uh, eventually. I don't know how and I don't know when I don't have to know when all I know is there is always change going on and this too shall change as we will change to segment number two in just a moment here on tell me your story tell me your stories i'll do my best to understand you and 
Welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Duganier. I'm here along with the author of uh, Crafting Your Edge for Today's Job Market. Probably have to uh, amend that just slightly to say for the post-pandemic job market. And Julie Ivey, I want to thank you so much for joining us, uh, staying with us here on the program. It's great to have you with us. Um, this whole aspect of uh, getting to understand, especially the the millennials. I mean, I I was when I was in living back in Phoenix and doing interviews and talking with people, and they would talk about the baby boomers, and I go, well, am I one of those? You know, I was born in 1960. Did I just miss it? And if I just missed it, then where do I fall in this in this spectrum? And then we had the Gen Xers and the Yers and the Zers and I just I get so confused with all of the different designations trying to figure out where where I fit in. But that's really maybe to the core of what you are really working towards. And that is helping people to fit in uh, to a place to 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 be able to say, I belong here now. I left Phoenix in 19 in 2006. Maybe I did leave it in the 1900s into my mind. I left in 2006. I've been back a number of times and it just doesn't feel the same. I don't have a home there anymore. Now I have parents. I have sisters. Uh, and we visited and we were there just last Christmas. Uh, had a great time. And, but it just it. It's not my hometown anymore because it's changed so much. They have laid down even more concrete and asphalt, taken out more of the flora, uh, you know, and it's just disheartening to say the very least uh, to to see even the neighborhood. I go on Google Earth and I look at the neighborhood I grew up in and it's like, wow, it really has changed. You know, I mean, yeah, the streets are the same, but the houses, you know, they're a little different. And now they have this and that and the other. When you were talking about making these transformations of these communities, um, first of all, I'm going to put out that time has absolutely no relevance in this conversation. It's not you're not talking about making these conversions in a year, two years, five years, 10 years. It's going to take the time it's going to take. Right. Okay. So it's every, yeah, it's, it, thank you again for uh, mentioning this, like every crisis, like what we had in past, it's changing the business landscape tremendously. So the next 10 years, we will have to deal. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to say 10 years or right. five years, but it's, uh, uh, it's changing landscape for uh, a decade. Yeah. And it's changing consumer behavior. Many people are not going to be back to the previous behavior after being so long, kind of learning how to navigate this new context. And uh, this is a point that right now, these businesses just have no way to be back to what they did before. They have to find a new way. But many small businesses and ethnic businesses, uh, they don't have enough relational capital and intellectual capital from outside of their communities to find the new way. And this is what I think, if we bring this 
uh, educa highly educated millennials and uh, synchronize them together, this is miracle might happen. And by the way, millennials, do you know that millennials are the most educated generation comparing to baby boomers, access, etc. If we compare the same age, when, you know, like the same age of this, each of them, millennials are the most educated and the most unemployed. Can you imagine? Just most educated and most unemployed. So this is something what we really can, can play with and can uh, help both groups to uh, shape their space. Both groups. Yeah. One of the things that I find so interesting too is, is uh, that, that I would love to live in one of these communities is because of the wonderful, <laughs> wonderful aromas that waft through the neighborhoods at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, I mean, I'll walk through Santa Barbara sometimes in the afternoon when some of the restaurants are starting to kick up and they're starting to get pre prepared and so forth. And the freight, the aromas are just unbelievable. And there's no way... Uh, you know, you would have to choose a different restaurant every day for the next year and you might get through them. And then the ones that were there, they've left and new ones have come in. So now you got to go to those. And it's just a never ending process. But wow, what a journey that would be. Um, and people are amazing. I moved to East Boston from another community, very affluent community. Mm -hmm. The joy is so much more here. So people laugh on the street, kids just like playing around and it's just a joy. You know, you kind of feel energy, kind yeah. of energy of neighborhood. You you really want to belong to this community, this neighborhood. And like my neighbors next door are from Morocco. I am from Slavic countries and my other friend, other neighbors are wonderful American, purely American gay couple. And my neighbors in front are all from Latin America. And it's just, we all are neighbors here. And it's so cool. It's yeah. so cool. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I remember when I moved into the very first apartment complex uh, out of my parents' house when I was 21. And um, I w I, I'm very, uh, for the most part, I'm a very social individual. I like getting out and meeting people and so forth. Well, my neighbor, um, this was in 1981, was uh, he was as a gay man didn't bother me i was had no problem with that he invited uh, me over every so often just to sit and talk i invited him to my parents house for thanksgiving that year um and uh you know and I, I just wanted him to feel that he was a part of uh maybe my life and that that we were friends and that we could do this kind of an exchange uh i often wonder whatever happened to him after uh, after i moved out of there but um, many of the other relationships that I made in that apartment complex, um, again, they were, they were very diverse in that respect. And I learned an awful lot too. I mean, it was one gal, an elder woman, elderly woman. Uh, and when I say that, I mean, she was in her sixties or seventies, as far as I can recall. And she was always as, as the young kid, the young pup <laughs> living out on his own, she was giving me all kinds of advice you know, about relationships and things because of what I was going through at the time. And it was greatly appreciated because at least it gave me something to think about, even though it didn't really qualm the, 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 the broken heartstrings, so to speak. But I look back on those days and those years with these, these wonderful people. And that's really, uh, you can't, 
you can't manufacture that. That that has to be developed over the course of time. And when you have, as you're talking, the young and the middle and the older, I mean, there's just so much we can learn from. I've, I've been doing this in, these interviews for over almost, well, for over 40 years. And many of them have been probably over 60 or 70 years of age. And they just have so much. And when I talk with my parents, it's the same way. Um, Absolutely. And the mistake we make sometimes, we all make sometimes, we provide each other advice. Yeah. We are skipping two steps because this is a step number three is generate value. When you know, like, I feel that I can help Richard you with my wonderful experience Mm -hmm. or feel that you can help me with your wonderful life experience. But because we are skipping two steps, the first is elucidate your core, define what is special in your experience, what will help me. But second and most important, develop trust. Because we're skipping these two steps, our wonderful advices very often are rejected or neglected. Mm-hmm. And why when we follow this formula, E, D, G, E, we, we come to the result is a BE, boutique employability or built-in employability or just B. You know, B is the outcome. When we feel that each of us, we have our own space, at the same time, we help each other having their own space. It means a boutique, boutique employability. It means that I am one of one, you know, like the choice of one of one. And my employer or my business I'm helping or my friends know that it's only me who fits so well these specific you know problems to solve and they know that only Julia can help or only Richard can help or only Mary might help etc so these steps really make this professional and gracious move and Mm -hmm. um if we learn this, millennials can help ethnic businesses, ethnic businesses can help millennials, older generations can help younger generations without kind of lecturing each other, but opposite, synchronizing instead of lecturing. Yeah. Synchronizing. This is what I believe it's, it will change the whole stuff, everything. Synchronicity on a universal level is quite extraordinary. I've experienced it on more than one occasion. And uh, it's just been wonderful. And uh, the people that that I have come in contact with over the years uh, continues to bolster my position that I've always been in the right place at the right time. And I'd like to think that the uh, project that you are working on now uh, that is developing these communities one at a time uh, is at the right place at the right time, uh, because this is something that we desperately need right now. Uh, We We have so allowed ourselves to be fractured, to be divided by outside forces. And we don't have to do that. That is not something that will will help us. Uh, It is said uh, both, um, uh, (laughs) I'm sure a construction worker might agree with this, but philosophically speaking, a house divided against itself. And... At that time, in my 20s, early 30s, I studied significant choices of young adults 
And this is where I learned how young adults make their choices and reflect their choices. And I found that actually at that time, and it was 1996 when I made my uh, first PhD, uh, the group of young adults who knew that they had a choice and made their choice and stick with their choice, even if the choice sometimes was wrong, they, they admitted that their choice was wrong, but they still were fighting for their right to have a choice, was not so big. Now millennials are people who are fighting for their job, for their choice, for their right to make their own choices. So this is, was my first kind of drive, my first part of me. Um, it's a psychology of making choices and young adults. Then my second kind of like avenue is a strategy. I am a strategy professor and my second PhD in strategy where I studied how to navigate your project in a low trust versus high trust environment. And I found right now that actually these groups are very often believe that environment around them are low trust. They are very much trustful inside that millennials trust each other, but kind of don't trust us very much. And uh, many ethnic communities trust each other, but don't trust outsiders very much. And they do have a point. And this is, and we don't trust sometimes, you know, each other. And the formula strategies I invented during my PhD in strategy really helped me. So I brought them together and I found like, hmm, the first one, I talk about young adults. The second one, I talk about businesses, how I bring them together. And this is came to my number three kind of roots. It's a case methods. I, I write cases, I publish cases, I teach cases. I'm, I'm good in case methods. And I found that actually case methods is a perfect bridge between first and second. So this is how I arrived to this idea that businesses and young adults must, bring to, must, must be brought together. However, not as a business comes first and then you know, young employees follow, which is a traditional approach, but against, but instead they must synchronize. And then I ask myself, hmm, how can they synchronize? And this is why I arrived at for case methods. How I did it? Because every time when I do cases for um, businesses, they want to stay with me. They want to be friends with me. I want to, I become friends with them because I listen to them, because I develop trust before I recommend anything. I tell their story. It's a storytelling. It's like your podcast. Tell me your story. This is the secret <laughs> which works every single time. And this is what millennials, if they come to these businesses and tell them, please tell me your story. Instead of giving them their advices, instead of lecturing them that they're so smart, but tell, please tell me your story. And businesses tell them story. And then they take in this story and process this and think, how can I, help this business to succeed through this story. This is where 
um, kind of like uh, intersection of these three uh, my universes happens. Mm. Well, I cannot encourage my listeners enough to go to your website, find out more about these various projects that you've got going on, as well as the book that we have also been uh, uh, talking a little bit about or or, uh, bringing out some of the uh, aspects of it. And uh, Julia, Ivy, I thank you so much for being a part of this program. And I'm hoping that in the not too distant future, uh, and it, it will happen, bottom line is it will happen when it happens, that we are able to move about once again freely and safely. Uh, that maybe uh, we'll find you out here on the West Coast, uh, here in Santa Barbara. We might uh, continue this conversation. But, you know, uh, as long as the Zoom is still available, you know, I, or any other of these platforms, we certainly can continue the conversation uh, to help our listeners because you touched upon probably the core of what this uh, program and what we're doing is all about. Giving people choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true. But the first step is that people need to know that they have choices. No matter what circumstance or situation they find themselves in, they always, always, always have choices. The question is, do you know what they are? When COVID-19 hit back in January here in the U.S. and they started shutting things down, I guess in February, March, I wasn't elated over the fact that all of this was happening. I was elated over the fact that we were doing something different for the first time in my personal 60-year history that I knew we were going to finally get a different result. When the influenza would hit, they would uh, just say, stay home and drink lots of fluids, get lots of rest, and then you can go back to work or school. Then the vaccine came along. Take the flu shot and you're good to go. And people still got sick. And for the first time, they decided, let's we're going to do something different. We're going to shut things down. Uh, I've been saying that for 40 years. Shut down the airlines for two weeks, and it's it'll be over in two weeks. Oh, no, the economy. It'll hurt the economy too much. As compared to this? Really? So I was just excited about the opportunities. Yours is one of those that probably most people... I certainly didn't think it, but it didn't didn't come to my mind. I'm glad you came up with it. Um, And, uh, you know, that this is where the wonderful innovations come along when we have when we're faced with these kinds of challenges. Um, I don't believe in failure, nor do I believe in success. What I believe in is if there is a goal that you are trying to achieve you will achieve it when its time has come. And maybe there'll be one community that's going to be fabulous. The next one, eh, not so much. They took a shot. So you move on to the next one and a little more success, maybe not as much as the first one. But each time you learn something, you grow. These people grow. And they find new ways of doing things uh, to where maybe we become a more cohesive society down the road. Not I, I have no aspirations of being number one. I just want to be among the numbers. That's all that's helping, that's trying to do something. Being number one would, you know, would just be uh, icing on the cake, but it's not that important. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Be special. Be unique. Be right? unique. You got it. 
Uh, I'm crafting my edge to be one of many edges. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, Just embrace your different dimensions and find their core, elucidate your core of these different dimensions. Don't be multi-potentialite because it's all potential. Yeah. Be multi-dimensional. Find this core and embrace all of them together. Yeah. Absolutely. I guess the one example I can give you very briefly, I, uh, in 1993, my first wife and I, we uh, we were shown this house on September 1st. <clears throat> and when we decided that, hey, we really like this, and if we can qualify, this is what we're going to do. But this was the core of it. What are we going to be doing here in the month of September of, 20, of, of 1993? We are buying a house. It doesn't matter what comes along. It doesn't matter what the appraiser says. It doesn't matter what the insurance company says or the title company or the loan officer or the broker or the realtor. It doesn't, none of that matters. We'll, we'll have to deal with those things, yes, but that's not what we're doing. We're buying a house. You are creating new, vibrant, vital, and diverse communities that cherish the specialness of both aspects in the case of, of the two elements you talk about. Uh, so when that's what you are looking to achieve, so you don't get bogged down in all the other stuff. Yeah. The other stuff does come up, but you don't waste a lot of time and energy on it. It's going to resolve itself. I had the situation where it was a homeowner's homeowner's insurance issue on the day of closing. I didn't get bogged down in it. And we, we signed papers that afternoon. So I think that's something that we really need to remember. Uh, Julia is you need to stay focused on the passion, on the goal of creating these wonderful communities of, I don't know, 75, 100, 500. It just, I guess it just depends upon how it, it develops, right? And we just, all we have to do is just to help them to find their rhythm, you know, like these dance together. They help themselves. Yeah. This is what we are, uh, what I am driven with, that, you know, people who are already here, they don't need us always tell them what to do or giving even them like resources, resources. They know what to do as long as they know how to, how to help each other and they want to help each other. Right. And uh, I am, you're absolutely right. Stay on the purpose, stay on your dream. Define your vision and be true to your vision. And I, as I tell to all my, you know, all millennials, all my clients who I work with, I just ask them, don't listen to me. Don't listen to anybody. Listen to the guy or the girl who is you in your vision. Ask that person, what should I do now to help you be there on this vision? And if that person tell you, like, Stick with your job now. We need it. We need it. It means me and my own future me. Yeah. We need to stick this like two more months because we need this money. Stick this. Mm -hmm. But if the person says like, hey, don't waste your time. Take, you know, new drive, new education, new something, do something. And this is vision. And my vision is this community. And uh, I live in this community and I'm proud of this community and my vision that, you know, one day I will come to, you know, to different cities of United States and around the world and helping each of these communities, which, again, 
minority, very big minority presence and urban communities mm-hmm. to just to find this vibrancy instead of clashing with each other, but instead being, you know, in, in a synchronized movement, in a beautiful synchronized movement. When we see on TV, when we watch like Dancing with the Stars, this is what I want them to feel. I want them to feel they're dancing in with the stars. Well, well, Julia Ivy, I thank you so much for joining us on the program. And again, I do look forward to getting together with you again to talk more about this project and to hear about how it's how these these different communities are developing over the course of time. Uh, but uh, uh, I have three final questions for you. But before I give you those three final questions, I do want to let our listeners know that uh, this program is on 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. on Sundays and uh, 1 a.m. Monday mornings. That's all Pacific time. And it's streaming live at richarddugan.com. And then there's the podcast. There is more to this interview. So you're going to want to go to the podcast. And it's on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, a lot of other locations where you can indeed listen to the entire interview. And also go to Julia Ivey's uh, website and uh, you can get more information. B-edge.com. The letters B-E as in Edward or edge-edge.com. And we will be linked to your website as well, Julia, so that people can find out more about what you're doing and maybe even get involved in the work that you're doing and saying, hey, come to our town, come to our little community here. We'd like to, we'd like to do that. You know, let's, uh, let's, let's collaborate here. So my three final questions for you are, number one, who is Julia Ivey? Before answering all these three questions, I want to say thank you for uh, the phrase, tell me your story because it was you who gave me this uh, just phrase. And I tell other people like, you know, like if you want to develop trust with others, ask them to tell your story. So thank you for this. Ivy Julia Ivy is an expert in synchronizing personal strategy with strategies of the organization. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I want uh, individuals who I work with who are mostly millennials or career changers, people who like veterans who achieved some level of very high level in their profession and decide to start something new or people who just change in their careers. These are two groups of my people, millennials and career changers. I hope through my work they can shape their space, which is built in in their own professional uh, profile, instead of trying to start over and kind of starting this again and again, but instead capitalizing on this. And I hope organization be smart enough to embrace multidimensional uniqueness of these people. Final question. What is your life's purpose? My life purpose for today, like today I think about, you know, be happy, be true to myself. Like I'm asking myself what is right for me, maybe because I am, you know, at the stage of my life that I just can be true to myself. And if it's not right, it's I don't feel right anything, I say, 
maybe it's just not me that maybe it's not my crowd or maybe it's not my place maybe it's not my so maybe my story and uh to be true to myself and make my voice authentic to me this is my goal Again, I thank you so much for telling us your story and joining us on the program. And I do look forward to having you back again to talk more about this. Thank you very much. We'd love to do this. And I would love to tell my story. Okay. Well, I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices. To help make your dreams come true and until our next broadcast podcast, love to lull.